All right, everybody, welcome to the Eternal Leadership Podcast. It's John Ramstead. I'm here with Sandra Crawford Williamson. How are you, Sandra? Woohoo! Doing great. Can't wait for this interview. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So, uh, Art Barter, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, John. Hi, Sandra. How are you guys doing this morning? We are great. doing great, and I love this topic. So, everybody out there, our topic today is about servant leadership. And man, have we heard of probably a lot about it in your life. You've probably read articles about it. You've tried to implement it. And Art, um, you are part of the Servant Leader uh, Leadership Institute. And you took servant leadership uh, and you implemented it into a, a, a company. Um, and there were some challenges there, but the results were fantastic. And I remember uh, early on in the podcast, we had Cheryl Batchelder on who had, who had brought servant oh. leadership into Popeye's. Yep. And it completely transformed it. And, but here's, and, and here's uh, I think a lot of people don't really understand what servant leadership looks like inside of a, you know, an operating for-profit business and how to do it well and why we should be doing it. So I'd love for you to start and actually maybe even share for people listening, you know, what is servant leadership? You know, it, it's servant leadership. Uh, you can look it up. Uh, you, most, most of your search will point back to Robert Greenleaf back in the 70s uh, where he, he uh, looked at defining servant leadership. I've taken that and said, okay, how does it apply to my company? Now, I implemented it starting in 2005. And, uh, you know, what I, what I want to encourage people is take all the definitions you hear of what servant leadership is all about. It really has to start with you as a leader. What's your definition of servant leadership? Mm, and can point. you live with that? Right. And if, and if you're a faith person, then it has to be based on your faith. And for me, Ken Blanchard is the guy who challenged me in 2003 in my faith and said, you know, Art, do you really believe what you believe? And I said, yes, I do. He said, then you have to be a servant leader. If you want to be obedient to God, then then you don't have you don't have an option to be any other type of leader. And I'd never been challenged in my leadership beliefs through my faith. Now, here's what I believe in the in this public world we live in is my faith is personal to me. Why I do things for me as a leader, that that's that's my faith. God didn't make me to be an evangelist. He he gave me talent to run a company, uh, run it effectively. And, you know, that's what he's asked me to do. And so, you know, my faith is personal. I'm not here to, to challenge anybody in their faith, ask them to change their faith. In our company, we define servant leadership very simple. We're here to inspire and equip those we influence. So first, we inspire people with a great mission and purpose on why we do what we do. And then we equip them to go carry out that mission. Um, and, and for us, our mission and purpose at Daytron is to positively impact the lives of others, not only today, but also in the future. So we say we want to positively impact the lives of others today and in the future. So it isn't just about selling product and making money off that. It's about the whole relationship with the customer, not just the, the selling process. Um, and so our definition that worked for us and worked for me from my faith is to inspire and equip those that we influence. Now, you notice I didn't say those that report to us because we believe everybody is a leader because everybody influences someone. Uh, and so we, we, when we started down the path of servant leadership in our Daytron company, we looked for training material to help implement servant leadership and we we had a tough time finding something, so we, we developed our own um, and spent a couple of years and about half a million dollars developing our own implementation training. And we trained everybody in the company on the, on, on the, on the program. Every, everybody got the same training because it isn't servant leadership for, for leaders in the executive suite and middle management and supervisors and the rest of the company. It's everybody. Everybody gets the same training. Uh, that way, everybody understands what servant leadership is all about. So for us, it's to inspire and equip those we influence um, is our definition. Now, I will mention to you, Greenleaf says that, you know, it starts with a natural feeling to serve. And this is where I disagree with 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 Robert Greenleaf. That may have been true back in the 70s. But today, I don't think people have a natural feeling to serve because there's so much stuff going on in our lives. There's so much information being thrown at us through all social media and, and we've got all this stuff coming at us. 
um, kids involved in soccer and all kinds of activities, etc. I, I, I believe that serving is a learned behavior, just like trust and, and mm-hmm. some other things. And, and I think it's a learned behavior. I think it can be learned. But I think our world has gotten so um, me- not messed up, but our input of information is so great that I don't think we have a natural feeling to serve anymore. We have to search for that, and, and we have to bring it to the surface. Um, and so that's where I, 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 I say in today's world, I think we have to help people bring that, that feeling of wanting to help people up. Um, and so that's how we define it uh, in our company. That's interesting. So you bought Daytime Communications in 2004, and yes. you decided to implement this inside that company. And so you literally created it from scratch, as you mentioned. And, you know, what were some of the results then that you saw at Daytron after you implemented this, you know, completely to every single person? Yeah, it's interesting, uh, Sandra, when you ask about results, because I will I will start with the stories mm. first, because those are the those are the best results of a servant led culture that you have where people come together to help each other. And that's the one common bond we have in our companies is we just want to help each other. That's, that's our common bond. We want to help people. Um, so results to us is how many people have we served in our customers, et cetera. But what, what we did to help our employees live our mission and purpose was we created the Daytron Charitable Fund in 2005 and decided that we would give 10% of our operating profits every quarter into a charitable fund. And we use a donor advised fund managed by Fidelity so that once the money goes in, we can't get our hands on it, right? It's it's a it's a done deal. But we weren't comfortable that that 10% as a tithe would should go to our home church. We said, listen, 10% of 10%, we want to direct to our, our home church or the Barter Family Home Church. The other 90%, the employees get to give away. And we don't take grant requests from outside the company. And... So we let them submit a very simple request form, one page, of who they'd like to give some money to. And it has to be a nonprofit in good standing in the U.S., et cetera. But I've watched our employees give away, since we started that fund, over $15 million to charities around the world that help people and build buildings and educate and give people clothes and food and um it's amazing to me that that's the real result of servant leadership is when an organization serves for the right reasons, you have great relationships with your customers that your competitors don't understand how you got to that point. You get great results in, in stories of helping people. I have great stories of how our employees turned around their relationships with teenagers and their families and their, their, their special people in their lives. And then after all that, you get great financial results. And they come together because you have a high level of trust in the organization. You've got people who, who are bought into the mission and purpose. Uh, they, they want to work together, so things get done quicker. They don't cost as much, and guess what? You get great results. And so for us, we went from being about a $10 million company when we bought it in six years to almost a $200 million company. Uh, our profits went from losing money at 10 million to making almost 25% pre-tax um, uh, with the servant-led culture. Um, and we did that in, uh, I think, six or seven years. Um, and two years ago, we, we signed our largest contract ever with the U.S. government, it was worth $495 million. And so the results that the business world is used to seeing, the financial results, that's just the result of the culture that we implemented our results are really focused on how many people have we served, have we served them right, have we helped them financially, have we helped them in other ways, have we put our hearts into all the relationships that we have, and that's the real measure for us, and the financial results will come. And I love CEOs who challenge me on the financial results. I say, listen, I'll sit down and share you all our numbers and show you that if you do things right, the right right way for the right reasons, your financial results will be there. Now, on the flip side of that, I'll tell you, John and Sandra, that servant leadership implementation for me was the toughest thing that I've ever done as a leader. Mm. And the reason why is you're changing the culture. You're changing your own behaviors. I have to start with myself first before I ask my team to change. 
I'm asking them to change behaviors and I have to get results at the same time. I can't ask my employees to, to put their paycheck on hold for six months while I implement a new culture. I have to get results because I still have obligations to pay the people that work for me. So, you know, you can't put things on hold when you implement servant leadership. You have to get results. Results are required of any organization for it to be sustainable. Yeah, are, and, are the behaviors yeah. that you had to change, what were those behaviors? Well, for me, um, I was brought up in the power world. Mm-hmm. And so top down, uh, top down, I was every, every three months we had to report earnings to the outside world and that's all that mattered. And I was trained really well in that arena. My first position in a division, um, in my mid twenties, they gave me the title of controller. Now think about that for a minute. You give a young, young person out of college, his first leadership positions at a small division, and you give him the title of controller. Now, I did my job really well, John. I controlled people because they took, gave me the title of controller. What am I supposed to do? <laughs> so I controlled people. Um, and I would later find out that, you know, that would only take me so far, and I really didn't find any joy in that. I didn't find any satisfaction in that. And when I really started to care about people, and I, I mean care about people, not just care about people so you can meet your quarterly numbers, but I mean care about them, ask them how their family's doing, how their kids are doing in school, how they're doing. Uh, are we giving you everything you need to do your job? Are we training you right? Um, can you say hi to them when you walk down the hallway instead of going the other way and just ignoring them? Um, those little things are what really, really helps um with that change. But for me, I had to change my mindset to go, I'm here to help people and to serve. They're not here to serve me. I'm here to serve them. And the, and the biggest challenge for me was listening. And this is a true story. When we first got into servant leadership, we, I had my team develop 10 characteristics of a servant leadership. And one of them was, was listening. And we all decided to do a 360 on everybody, and they did it. They, everybody did one on me, and I opened it up one night on a Friday night, and my survey results, and I went, "The survey's wrong. These results aren't right." <laughs> of course, you felt that right, way, right? right? <laughs> corporate corporate power leaders go, "This can't be right because nobody understands," you know, blah blah blah. And what what the survey? Um, it, it just, I did it on a Friday night and I got bummed out, went home and talked to my wife, Lori, and she says, what's wrong? She says, you're, you're upset about something. I said, we wasted all this time and money in the survey because it's wrong. She says, what did you find out? And she said, I, found, I told her, I said, I found out that I'm not a good listener. She didn't even look up from the, from the countertop where she was working, John and Sandra. And she, <laughs> and she says, tell me something I don't already know. <laughs> and I went, well, wait a minute. I was supposed to come home for support, not confirmation. And yeah. at that point in time, I had to decide whether I was going to become a better listener and become a servant leader, or I was going to continue down the path that I was going to go. And what I found out, I studied, I studied listening um, from a biblical pr- perspective and found out that listening is a form of love. And if I care for the people around me, especially those closest to me, then why can't I be a great listener? And so one of the behaviors that we teach is not just listening, but listen to understand. You know, turn off all of your devices, really focus, literally listen, uh, ask questions like, you know, tell me more or help me understand. And that was the biggest challenge for me was keeping my mouth shut because I had all the answers on how to fix things. I wasn't giving the, pe- the people who did the work the chance to come up with a solution. And so that was the biggest challenge for me was becoming a good listener. You know, two key things I kind of pulled from that. The first one was you sat down with your team and had a discussion so that they were involved versus you coming in saying, Hey guys, here's kind of the new approach. Like what are those 10 characteristics of a servant leader? You know, what are they, what do they look like and how do we implement them? And let's kind of see where we all are and you were the first one to say, I'm open to doing a 360 so you can give me feedback in these areas. And that's the second thing that I pulled out. And it's hard for a lot of leaders. I know men especially, maybe just because that's where I come from, I can relate to this, is you know that feedback that we get sometimes that we agree with. Man, that's easy. Even if I, maybe I don't like it, but I can, yeah, I can see that. But that feedback that we don't agree with. 
what I teach people, Art, is that all personal feedback is relevant. Right? I'll yeah. ask a group, is personal feedback relevant? And usually only a small percentage of the group will say yes. Uh, what I share, and then I have people out, you know, say, why is that your opinion, a yes or a no? My opinion is that, you know what, it's relevant to the relationship because if you, Art, don't feel I'm a good listener, well, it doesn't matter what I think, it's true to you. So right. if, if you think I'm dismissing you, so two two key takeaways there for people listening is, right, A, do this with your team so they have involvement and ownership. The other one is, you know, a, a level of kind of humility and vulnerability to actually start taking some feedback so you can get different results. But if you get that feedback, Art, it's pretty important to actually then take action on it, isn't it? Yeah, and, and, and John, what we did was we, we agreed from the 360, we would take the two behaviors we were rated the lowest on, and we would present to the leadership team what we were going to do in the next six months to improve those two behaviors. Wow. And what I'd learned was if I wanted my team to do that, then I was the first one that had to go and give that presentation to the leadership team. I, I had to be the first one to say, here's the two areas that you guys rated me the lowest in. Here's what I'm going to do to improve on it, and I want you guys to hold me accountable for it. Um, and, you know, th- th- those are big steps because we're, we're, we're changing how we want to act as a leader, but we're doing it publicly. We're not doing it in private through, you know, journals. and that. I mean, I, I went through journaling and everything else to help me, help me change, but I'm putting my behavior out in public and saying, hey, guys, if, if I don't behave in the way I want to, I want someone in this room to speak up. Mm. And, and yeah, accountability. And say, I mean, say, Art, you messed up in that meeting because you really didn't listen here. And here's why I said, and I, w- I learned how to say, you know, tell me more about that so I can understand that. Um, and then, you know, I, I started to hear things like, you know, it, it, your tone of voice wasn't the best. Okay. You did, you weren't patient in, in listening. Um, in one situation I had, um, someone that was pretty close to me say, I said, you were upset last week. Tell me why. She says, it wasn't what you said. It wasn't how you said it. It was the frown on your forehead that you gave me. Mm. And I said, my frown. And she says, yes. Now, here's some of the best advice I can give your listeners today. We all have files in our brain. I call them files. There's a bunch of names for it, but I call them files. We have bad experiences. We keep those bad experience files in our brain. And when we run across something that feels like something that happened to us in the past, sounds like it, looks like it, we pull that file out and that's how we react. So 90% of the time, 90% of the time someone reacts in a way that you weren't expecting when you were dealing, you're dealing with them in a relationship, 90% of the time it has nothing to do with you or what you just said. It has to do with that old file from a previous experience that they're bringing to the relationship. So cut them. Yeah, I call it the filter through which we process everything, right? Exactly. So I've got all this baggage from dealing with frowny face people, and then all of a sudden you don't have the best look on your face. I immediately process what you just said through that that pre existing filter. Exactly. And your message could have been perfect, but it's just going through all the old baggage that I have there already. Right. So don't don't take that input that you get negative. In a bad way, ask about it, help me understand it so I, I don't do that to that person again. And that gets back to that relationship, John, you were talking about. This is all about relationships. Yeah. How do we treat people with dignity and respect, um, regardless of whether we agree or disagree? We, we need to treat each other with dignity and respect. And part of that is listening, trusting. Um, and those are some of the toughest things for people to learn today is how to trust each other and how to listen to each other. Yeah, that that's a big part about kind of bringing grace into our relationship. Those files you talked about, right? That actually, in the brain, there's a there's something called the hippocampus, which is our cognitive memory, and basically yep. all those files are basically front loaded because the brain wants to process situations quickly. But it's but I love what you said. You know, it's all about recognizing in that other person that there's something about them that I don't know or might never know. So how they reacted in that situation, instead of taking offense or becoming a wounded avoider or moving into passive aggressive behavior or even gossiping about maybe the fact that you told me this and had this frown on your face, um, you know, those things are all very destructive to a culture. 
And if oh, we they can are. actually just acknowledge the fact that, you know what, we all have this stuff. I like, I like your idea of files, right? We all have these files and some I'm, you know, I don't even want to open them because I don't like what's in there, but it still is affecting my behavior, right? It, it is. And here's, here's what you can do as a leader to really help your team is when you're dealing with an old file, right? And I've been CEO since 2004 in this company. I've heard all the excuses in the world on why we can't get results, right? I've heard, mm-hmm. I've heard all the excuses. And when I hear the same excuse four or five or six times, I start bringing up my old files of what happened the last time I heard that excuse. And so what I've, I've learned to do with my team is when we start down that path, I say, guys, I'm dealing with. Oh, Art, you there? We lost. At 20 minutes, 44 seconds. Art, you there, buddy? I just wrote the timestamp down. We might have to call Art back. Well, goodness. Okay, he's gone. He dropped off. Okay, let me see if I can add him back in. I wonder if it keeps recording. That'll be interesting. I think it will. It's connecting. Hello, Don. Hey, there you are. Hey, hey. hey. Okay, uh, Sorry, we'll, I, I, we'll do a pickup on the on the on the edit there. What, what uh, I'm trying to remember exactly where you were at. You were talking about uh, files. Uh, yes. Um, when I deal with my team and I'm dealing with an old file, I I have old files, and I found out that in order to treat my team with dignity and respect, I need to tell them when I'm dealing with an old file. Because then they they can help me understand or help me understand why it's going to be different than my experience I had two or three years ago when I heard the same excuse, right? Um, and so um, I've learned to tell my team, hey guys, when we talk about this subject in this area, I'm dealing with a couple of old files, so just bear with me while I try and listen and really concentrate what you're saying and understand where you're going and not let these old files get in my way. Um, and they really appreciate that, uh, that I actually deal with old files as well. Um, yeah, I mean, you're giving them permission to give you feedback and to be authentic with you, which honestly, most managers don't do, right? I right. mean, when your manager, when you get into a new management relationship, your manager says, hey, you know, I want you to tell me when you think, you know, I'm, I'm doing something or if I'm delivering a message you don't like, I mean, please, you know, stop me. Let's talk about it. Oh, my goodness. How incredible is that? It, it is. And, and you know, once a leader asks, asks to do that, asks someone to do that, then it's our job to actually listen to what they're saying and, and really take stock of that. Now, I, I may not react right away and, and be in full agreement, but what my, my people do know is, I will go think about that for a couple of days. I'll come back and ask some questions and make sure I understand what's being said. And then I'll move forward with it. I don't automatically react to it. Um, and I've learned, for me, my weakness is if I react too too, too quickly to it. Uh, so I need to slow down and think about it. And and that's one of the things we teach our, our servant leaders to do. One of our behaviors is think about your thinking. You know, spend more time reflecting about what's being said, because if you if you build a, a great relationship on trust, you really want to listen to understand. And what are you going to do with it? If you're really listening to people, what are you going to do with it? Now reflect on what you need to do as a leader, what you need to do in the organization and really figure out what you should do to get better uh, and let your organization get better. Well, you you know what I really like about that is, uh, you know, we're I'm always trying to get teams I work with and organizations to be more vulnerable, and share some of these things. But you know what? There's some of those areas that people just are not comfortable sharing, and it could be some really traumatic things, abuse, neglect, all kinds of different things. But I think if you even just share some somebody right without going into detail, hey, you know what? That is actually pulling some stuff from a file that's affecting how I'm kind of showing up in that situation. So just bear with me as I work through it. So if I am getting into a place that's really uncomfortable, 
But I think it's also important maybe to communicate to you that, you know, that's how I kind of, it's not as, as an excuse, but I just want you to know that, you know, I'm still, this just brought up something I actually need to get better at, process, not really ready to share yet, but, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a great way if you're outside of your comfort zone to share that. But that kind of leads to a question too, Art, is, you know, what is that level of kind of vulnerability, authenticity, you know, that we should be moving toward as a leader? Because for a lot of people, this is a big mindset shift. You know, you know, it is. And, um, you know, we're all afraid of showing who we really are inside within our organizations. And um, it, it took me a while to figure out that people need to see the real art, uh, not the CEO art. And what I mean by that is there were some people in the organization who said, you know, you're supposed you're a servant leader. You want to be a servant leader. You need to have the same emotion about everything. You can't, you know, get excited. You can't get low. You can't. And I looked at him. I said, you know what? I, I, I can't do that. And here's why. I said, I'm a human being. And human beings make mistakes. And I'm going to make mistakes as your leader. And what I need from you is grace. And you mentioned grace earlier, John. And one of my turning points for my senior team was we were having a, a tough discussion amongst the senior team. Uh, in our servant leadership training class. And um, the team asked me, what, what, what do I want from them from a servant leadership perspective? And I looked at them, I said, I would love to have the same amount of grace extended to me that I extend to you. And Ooh, that's good. I bet they were floored. They were floored. And, and one of the individuals thought about it, came back and says, you know what? You're absolutely right. You extend us grace all the time. We make mistakes all the time. When you make a mistake, we want you to be perfect. We need to extend you grace because you're a human being. I said, that's exactly right. Um, and sometimes for a leader, just being part of the conversation, extending grace back and forth is really what we're all about because we want the relationship. We just don't want to become – don't don't just bring a problem to me. I want to be part of the conversation. Don't bring a solution to me. Help me be part of the team and be part of the conversation. And a and a true servant leader just just wants to help people. And to help them, they have to be part of that conversation and that relationship. It's not it's not just a professional relationship. And so it it does require leaders to be a lot more open and a lot more direct and uh, be open on relationships coming back to them. Uh, but when people ask you what do you what do you what what do you want out of them, you need to be honest and open with them. Uh, I didn't tell them I want better results. I said I want grace, I want forgiveness, um, because I'm going to make mistakes. Yeah. You know, think about everything we just said and apply that to a dating relationship or a marriage relationship. How incredible is that? You know, I didn't get married till I was 36. So I had 20 years of dating baggage. You call it files. I call it baggage or filters. Yep. Yep. And so I was processing everything my now husband said and did through all the junk that had happened in, in all the prior relationships, right? Think about that in a marriage and a relate, you know, you're going in and my husband can say something and, oh my goodness, even after 15 years of marriage, I still will catch myself going, wait a minute, that's, that's not because of something he's saying or doing. That's my own processing, right? right? And so I call it, I call it the filter. And my joke is with my clients is we have to constantly spray those filters out because if they're getting clogged up with old stuff, old files, old, old baggage, you know, we're not giving anyone the, the opportunity they deserve because we're just processing through someone else's old junk. And so everything we, we just talked about, I mean, it's so I think it's even more uh, so in our personal relationships, because there we don't have sort of the, 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 not really fake, but the environment of work, we tend to sort of be on our best behavior. Right. right. But then in our houses, we're just kind of letting it all hang out and, and, uh, and letting it fly. So imagine if, if anyone out there is in a relationship that 
you know, you're feeling, you're feeling challenged or you had an argument with your spouse last night, uh, you know, whatever it might be. I mean, really take this to heart because if we could just listen to what someone's saying and, and give them the, the opportunity to, to process it through their intention and not through what we, you know, are hearing them through our clogged filter. It's so crazy. Uh, correct. Um, you know, whether it's the person at the Starbucks counter can look at it the wrong way. And, uh, and we think, oh my goodness, this person must be ridiculous, you know, just stupid. They're messing up my order. And it's like, wow, all all they did was look at me and we're just processing it through some old junk. You got it. You got it. It's, it's, uh, I love to talk to, uh, married couples because one of the questions I'll ask when we get into listening and communicating is, how many of you had a weekend where you've communicated with each other but never said a word to each other for for two days? And, you know, 90, 90% of the people raise their hand. Yeah, we've had those couple of days where we, we're communicating, but we didn't say a word to each other, right? You do the same thing in the organization. Um, I am watched as CEO in everything I do, everything I say, everything I don't do, everything I don't say, and when I say it and when I don't do it. Um, so I'm watched 24-7, and people are going to look at my behavior to see if I'm a real servant leader. And that's how leaders get judged. It's, it's you know, you've heard the, the phrase behavior, or walk your talk, right? We, we like to say behavior talk because it's behaviors that will prove to people that you want to be different. And it's the same way in relationships. Lori once told someone, you know, if servant leadership can change art, it can change anybody. now she was on the front line of my transformation she was right there all the time um and and she's the one that deals with a lot of my emotions when i'm up and down and you know what um if she sees that i'm real in my intent and my desire to change that's that's the real person that i want to see and and show that i want to be a different type of leader because then if, if she sees it because she knows me the best other people are going to see it as well. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. Art, Art, I was very fortunate as a leader. One of my first leaders when I was in the military, um, I I sat down and I, I said, hey, one of my goals is to be a commanding officer like you one day. And what advice do you have for me? What, did, what advice do you wish you'd had way back when? And what he shared with me is, you know, everybody's trying to do something big and showy to get noticed. He said, every single day, you find somebody in the in this squadron that you can help, whether they're senior to you, junior to you, officer enlisted in your division or not, and you do something that, that helps them and also helps the mission of the squadron. And if you do that your whole career, you'll never have to worry about promotions or opportunities. And, um, you know, so I, I started looking at, you know, the kind of this concept of a rising tide lifts all boats and that if I can help others around me succeed, um, and that's my focus, I'll, you know, all the benefits will come back to me by helping others success. And as, you know, I became a Christian, something really jumped out me and it's from John 15, 13. And this is greater love has no one, you know, no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. And what hit me when I read that art was it's not just my life, right? My physical life. It's also my agenda. And if I can lay down my agenda to actually serve and help others. Now, what I've seen in corporate America, that is actually a pretty counterintuitive mindset. And And you had shared earlier that implementing servant leadership was one of the hardest things you ever did, uh, you've ever done, I should say. Um, I would. Could you share a little bit about maybe some of those maybe entrenched mindsets, or maybe some of the way that you know people that are coming into um, uh, Daycon uh, were thinking that really that took some time and energy to kind of to shift. Yeah, you know when when you start talking about changing behaviors. That scares the daylights out of people mm-hmm. because now now it's personal, right? It's personal. Um, and, you know, you're going to have ups and downs with people. And, and a couple exercises I do is I ask people to put their hands together and just intertwine their fingers, right, mm-hmm. uh, in a natural way. And everybody's natural. And I say, open it up and move it over one and then close it. And how does that feel? And people go, well, it feels different. It feels weird. It's it's not natural. I said, well, that's what we're asking you to do. We're going, we're asking you to go from the comfort zone to moving your fingers over one and grasping it a different way and thinking about things a different way. 
And then I ask people to cross your arms. And then I say, cross your arms the other way. If you're natural right over left, do it the other way. And I, I do this all over the country. And on average, it takes the audience almost a minute for everybody in the room to figure that out. And some people, it's real easy. And other people, it, 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 they can't do it. And when I changed, asked my leadership team to start changing, I did that exercise. And one guy in the back of the room said, Art, this doesn't feel different. This is wrong. It's wrong. <laughs> you don't fold your arms this way. People are going to look at behaviors when you ask them to build trust in relationships, think about their thinking, listen to understand, uh, live their values. You're asking people to go to that edge and, and, and put themselves on the line through their behavior. And that's not an easy thing for people to do, let alone a leader to do. And so that grace that we talked about, people are going to try and they're going to fail. And I always said, you know, as long as I see improvement, a desire to change and improvement in your behavior, everything's gonna gonna fall into place. And and what I didn't realize until several years into this process is everybody changes at different speeds. So think about that. Some people are gonna latch on to servant leadership very easily because that's the type of person they are. Other people they, they don't trust people, they don't don't they're not people per, per, people persons or managers. They don't have a great interface with people. We're asking them to do the same change. Everybody changes at a different rate, including me. And getting 30 to 40 leaders in your organizations to go through multiple behavior changes at different rates and speeds and still get results, that's why it was the toughest thing I ever did. Yeah. How did you do that? I'm thinking of maybe that third of the folks that are – you know, they're not naturally, you know, interested in others because they're maybe they're just very transactional. I'm not saying that that's a right or wrong. I think some people are just wired that way. So when you're working with that group that is that is slower to change, more resistant to change, what are some things that worked? Well, we ask people to share two things every month. Um, we ask leaders to share one thing that they were successful at in their servant leadership behaviors. And they and then we asked them to talk about one thing that they struggled in. We created a database that people went in and, and did a, a one paragraph on each one. And then when we got together every quarter, we asked some of the leaders to share their experience. Uh, we didn't like ask everyone to share. We just let people volunteer and those people who wanted to share it. But what we started to do was I needed to understand that not everybody in the room when I was in the room was gonna be open and be comfortable in communicating with the CEO in the room. Mm. And so I said, the best way I can serve my people is to create what we call leadership small groups. And so we have leaders um, that get together in small groups of anywhere between six and 10 people. They meet at least an hour once a month. And that's where they talk about their real challenges in changing their behavior, because in that small group, it's safe. The CEO isn't there. Their boss isn't there. They're talking with their peers. So part of my job as a servant leader is to create that safe environment where people can transform themselves. And I knew that our quarterly offsite meetings with the CEO in the room, there were going to be people in that room who weren't going to transform because it was too dangerous. It wasn't a safe environment for them to change. And so we, we, we started servant leadership small groups. They meet once a month, sometimes twice a month. And they talk about, here's the behaviors I'm struggling with. Does anybody have an idea on how I can deal with this? And that's, we saw more transformation in those small groups, just like you do in churches. Churches mm -hmm. have small groups. That's where the real church takes place is in that small group because it's a safe environment. I love going to church and, yeah. and asking people, you know, how are you doing today? And everybody says, great. I'm going, am I the only one that's not having a good day today? I feel lousy, mm -hmm. right? Everybody else is feeling great. Uh, so I, as a leader, I have to create that environment where people feel safe in talking about their challenges. And the small group is what, is, is what did that for us. Yeah, I mean, that's the, you're giving people the permission to be vulnerable in that small group. And I can just kind of let it all hang out. And, and that kind of shores them up for when they go out into the larger group, right? That's right. And, and, and there are going to be some people who aren't going to make the journey with you. And and. We always, always told people, hey, that's okay, because we believe servant leadership culture in a company isn't for everybody. 
And for us to be a good servant leader, it doesn't change when people leave the company. If I have someone who, who really is a power leader and will really survive in a power-led company, then help them go find a power company that they'll be comfortable in and be successful at, right? Um, and so I have, I've had some senior leaders that I had to help transition out uh, because they, they just couldn't catch on to the servant leadership uh, culture. It doesn't make them bad. They're not bad people. They're good people. It was too much of a change for them to take on, and so the better thing for them was to go find a company that would accept them the way they are. And that way, hey, I treat that person with dignity and respect whether they're within the walls of Datron or not. Our job doesn't stop within the walls of Datron with the employment relationship. We're serving people. And so um, if it doesn't work out, help them transition into a company and help them find a company that they'll be they'll be very happy at and i've had several leaders come back to me year two years after we've helped them transition out and go you know our you know what our i now understand what you were trying to teach me and thank you for putting so much time and effort into helping me change it may not happen within your company it may happen five or ten years down the road but we've planted the seed right and sometimes it takes a long time for that seed to grow, and sometimes it doesn't happen within the four walls of your company. Yeah, and and, and so for people that want more information, um, Art, you're at the ServantLeadershipInstitute.com. Uh, Correct. And something uh, I'm sure people can bring their teams to, right? You have the uh, Servant Leadership Conference coming up next spring out in California. Uh, what are, What are some other ways also that people can plug into what you're doing? Uh, I've got three books I've written. Um, first one was, was a book called Farmer Abel, which is a fable about a farmer struggling on the farm and bringing the animals into the servant leadership journey uh, and his family. Um, there's some of my own personal story in that fable um, and my transition. Uh, it's a fun book because it doesn't ask people to change their behaviors. It helps them to uh, get involved with characters in a farm, uh, including animals. And Juanita is one of my favorite animals that I have. I have a chicken puppet that I use in some of my presentations. And I told some people down here in San Diego about two months ago, I said, listen, I'm a CEO. I'm going to put a chicken puppet on my hand. I will do anything to get your attention <laughs> to lead in a different way. So I'll stand up here and look like a fool if I can get you to think about leading in a different way. Um, and then I wrote the Servant Leadership Behavior Journal, which takes you through the nine behaviors that we teach in a journal format. Um, and that's helped people transform. And then the one we, we released uh, earlier this year was The Art of Servant Leadership 2, uh, which is our story of how we implemented uh, servant leadership at Daytron World Communications. And so um, I, I want your listeners to understand, Servant Leadership Institute was started uh, I think in the seventh year of our implementation process, because people here locally said, all right, you need to share your story mm. of how you've got these great results and the culture you implemented. And so we didn't start the Institute. Um, we, we, we started it at the request of people because they wanted to learn about implementation. And that's what we focus on helping people implement. So we've got conferences, we've got workshops. Uh, I do training around the country, um, uh, in corporations and uh, but our big event is here in San Diego and um, I think next next year it's in March um, here in Carlsbad and uh, we're really looking forward to that so Cheryl Batchelder you mentioned earlier she's been at our conference a couple times I think she's considering coming out in March um, we watched her th through her journey in servant leadership and that was a lot of fun to watch her go through that um, and so, but uh, results too. She she did she did a wonderful job, and and I told her when they got started, I said it's going to take you eight years to change culture. And about halfway through, she says, "Art, you're absolutely right. It's going to take me eight years to turn this around." Um, and uh, uh, we said, "Yeah, that, that's what our research has told us. It takes takes eight years to change a culture around that's already been established, and five years to see any major results from leadership training. So it's not." It's not. This is not a short-term fix. So your, you know, listeners who are looking for something to save their job, to turn a culture around in three months. This is not it. This is a long-term project. Um, 
but go to the, the servantleadershipinstitute.com. We've got all kinds of resources, um, uh, blogs, uh, et cetera, um, a lot of podcasts. And we're just here to serve and help you look at leadership in a different way. And we hope it's uh, a focus on service. Um, yeah, and that's a good point too, right? Uh, the you know to really make some transformational change, some long-term permanent change. You know, it takes time, it takes intentionality, and it takes perseverance. Uh, but the results, not just not just economically and business results, but the results in the lives of your people uh, and the ripple effect that that has in their families, your community. Uh, oh, I mean, it's 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 so huge. So you know, just as, as we wrap up, Bart, this is, I've, I've just loved this conversation. But just any final thoughts to to leave with everybody listening in? Yeah, you know, people ask me all the time. They, they say, Art, you know, my my CEO isn't a believer in servant leadership. And, uh, you know, what? I can't do anything without my senior leaders' uh, approval, okay, et cetera. I said, well, here's what I believe. You don't need permission from anyone in your company, including your CEO, to treat people with dignity and respect. You can start doing that tomorrow. It's up mm-hmm. to you. So start changing where you are today in your life and leading the life that you want to live according to your values and be the person you want to be. You don't need permission to do that. It's totally up to you. And what will happen is you go deal with people in a different way. You'll treat people with dignity and respect. You'll start getting results in your group, your department, your division, whatever you're part of. You'll start getting some results there that people won't understand. Once that happens and people go, wow, how are you getting all this stuff done? Your, your projects are on time. They're, they're within budget now. Some are getting done earlier, getting great financial results. How are you doing it? Now you have the platform to talk about being a different type of leader. Don't just expect it up front. So if you want that platform to talk about leading in a different way within your company, start with yourself and your behaviors and be the type of leader you want to be. And let that shine through, and you'll get your opportunity to talk about that somewhere down the road. Because I guarantee you that the results in the people will go, wow, I want, I want another leader like this. Because people want people who care about them, not people who just tell them what to do. Um, yeah, and in fact, we're, we're drawn to that, right? I mean, John talked about it. You know, you've got this sort of just top-down autocratic style, and – People just don't thrive in those environments. I mean, they they seek out and and grow and thrive and blossom in environments like you're describing. So why on earth wouldn't every company want to implement something like this? Because as you said, it's not just about how people feel and that people are happier, which they are. But when they're happier, they work harder. When they're happier, they stay longer at work. When they're happier... They want to do a good job. They care about their results. So, you know, we have a lot of people out there listening on, well, that all sounds great. Um, but, you know, we're just scraping by. I don't have the the money to invest in some big training program. Well, you know what? It just starts with you. It starts with with one making eye contact, with one moment of authenticity. Um, you, you know, like just start today. Just, yeah. just start today. One thing and just yeah. start. Yeah. On our wall in our lobby, we have two lines, in God we trust. The second line is in people we invest. We invest in people. And um, I, I, we held a, had a conference down in Orlando that we had Chris Stokes. He was part of the Jamaican bobsled team, came and talked. And he's been a good friend, a good supporter of servant leadership. And one of the guys asked that question, I don't have money for training. I, I, he says, what, what can I do? And Chris's response was priceless. He says, you know, sometimes I don't understand people in America, leaders in America. He says, because we had no snow, we had no money, but we put together a team to, to compete in the Winter Olympics in bobsledding. He says, so I don't understand how you can say you don't have money for training. Go find it. Right? Because, hey, until you start investing in people, and that means – Maybe maybe your senior leadership team needs to stop having business lunches and use that money for training. Or maybe they need to stop wasting it on sponsorships or, or, or reallocate some money away from programs that aren't working uh, and put it into a training program and invest in people. Inspire and equip them. 
and then watch them take off. And, and as servant leader, we get out of the way. Our, our job is to inspire and equip and then get out of the way and let them do their job. And when you do that, people just fly and they take off and they love what they do. Yeah, Art, it reminds me of a cartoon that I, I have here. It's a, a CFO walks up to the CEO and says, hey, do we really want to spend this money on training? What if we spend all this money on our people and they leave? And the CEO looks up at the CFO and goes, well, what if we don't spend the money on these people and they stay? Right, exactly, exactly, yeah. Right? Yeah, it is. And, and you know, I'm, I'm a firm believer that uh, you invest in people. Yep. And that investment isn't tied to a requirement that you stay in the four walls of your company. I'm not going to invest in you as long as you stay here. And, you know, I get back to my faith. You know, Jesus didn't decide who to invest in and who not to invest in, depending on whether they were to follow him or not. Um, he invested in people that, 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 that had needs. And um, our job as servant leaders, and this is a, the biggest challenge I think that we have today, is there's so much different ideologies out there that a servant leader really needs to serve the, the person and not the ideology. And serving that person, whether you believe in what they believe in or not, is we don't have an option. God puts that person in front of us. It's our job to serve that person the same way we serve everybody else. So we have to get out of our box of social accept acceptability that we have and go, I'm here to serve people, and whoever God puts in our path, we're going to serve the same way and love them up the same way. It doesn't matter the circumstances. So, mm. and that's a part of servant leadership. That's you know that's my faith, and um, I try to get leaders to understand who, who believe in in God that are that are faith based to go. You don't get to, you don't get to pick and choose who you get to serve. God gets to do that. So just serve people, and you'll be fine. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Art, that was fantastic. Thank you so much. I hope people really plug into what you're doing. Uh, I've seen firsthand the results of a servant approach done correctly, done well. Uh, it is incredibly powerful. So thank you for just sowing your life, not only into making your changes personally, but to your organization and now bringing what you've done out into the lives of other. I, I just think that's, that's awesome. And you just set a great example, uh, for the rest of us. So thank you, my friend. Thank you, John. Thank you, Sandra, for having me. It was great hanging out with you, uh, on a Monday. Keep up the great work. You guys are doing some great work. So keep it up. All right. Thank you, sir. Okay. <laughs>